0: Once again, we are happy to um, have Pastor Lyle. He's say goodbye to his pulpit today. You know that's not an easy thing for a pastor to leave his pulpit, but uh, he has graciously accepted our invitation to come and share the word of God. So let us welcome Pastor Lyle as he comes. It is a privilege to be back with you. Um, Like yourselves, we at Grace have been praying uh, ardently for Pastor Lee. He is a treasured friend of mine and our church, and we know he is beloved of this church as well. Of course, you can read what's going on with him on Facebook, and despite his illness and recuperation, he still has time to write the local newspapers and... (laughs) correct people when they are wrong. That's what I love about him. Uh, He's calling this his Caleb years. He's still looking for giants to fight and to take down. And of course, you know, his, his great skill with the word of God, his colossal courage, I believe until his dying breath, he is going to honor the Lord with all that he does. And so I'm grateful to God for him, looking forward to his return. It is a privilege to be with you today. And yes, I am going up to Camp Bahamas. Richard is doing a phenomenal job from the time that his dad, Dave, uh, David and his wife, Jeannie, and I began talking about Camp Bahamas and then got in contact with Richard. Grace has been supporting that ministry as well. And we think God's doing a phenomenal job. I thank God for the faith of Richard and his wife. And um, they're doing a great job. And God is pleased. And thank God we have an opportunity to be a part of it as well. Amen. My message today is entitled, Guarding and Keeping Our Heritage, and I look forward to an opportunity to present that to you. Shall we have a quick word? ask the Lord's blessing on our time. Father, we are before you this day grateful for an opportunity to meet together as believers, grateful for the contributions each has to make, the gifts of talents and skills, everybody that is prepared to make our service time today meaningful and impactful. We ask your blessing now on the uh, pronouncement of the word of God that you would speak through me, speak to us, that we would come out of our time together, impacted, changed, encouraged in one way, shape or form. We commit this time then to you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I think I could get used to sitting. Normally I stand at uh, Grace, but I like this. I like this. I see why Pastor Lee does it. We both have bad backs. The church has a mission statement. Now, some years ago, when I moved from being an associate pastor to becoming the senior pastor, I uh, went through the purpose-driven church series with my church to help them to get an appreciation for... uh, The fact that God has a purpose in our lives, in the church's life, and so forth. It was a phenomenal series. Many churches have taken up on it. And in fact, I've helped other churches in the country to look at the purpose-driven church model. Today, I want to speak with you, though, about the purpose-driven nation. That is a nation dedicated to living out the purposes of God. One commentator writing about these things states, quote, God has made available to nations the opportunity to shine as spiritual beacons within a confused and darkened world. Regrettably, as with ancient Israelites, only a few among them have been willing to accept their responsibility in God's calling. God's grand purpose anciently today and tomorrow, for Abraham's descendants has never varied. He selected them to be to all be a blessing to all the families of the earth, Genesis twelve three. To make this possible, he promised them every material advantage they would have ever needed. Yet God did not give them national prominence and prosperity at the expense of other nations and peoples. Rather, God's far-reaching purpose has always been to lead all people into a permanent relationship with himself. End quote. Perhaps the passage of scripture that best lifts out this thought is found in Acts 17, 24 through 31, which states the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands he is not served by human hands and if he, as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else for from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him Though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, and now, but now, excuse me, he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. And quote, of course, we know he speaks of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. But there it is, brothers and sisters. God determined the set times and exact places where they, that is the nations of the world, should live. God set it up. This nation will live here. This nation will live there. You got it? This helps us to understand that a sovereign God is Lord over all the nations. It is he who determines where and for how long they will exist. And when you look at the book of Daniel and you see Daniel caught up in the spirit, you see God saying again and again and again, um, uh, this nation will rise up and then this one and then this one and then this one. And he's in total control. God is in charge of the nations. In fact, we learn from God's own mouth that Abraham's descendants would have to wait in Egypt for 400 years. Why? Because the wickedness of the Amorites was not yet complete. The people whose lands Israel was to inherit through war had not yet filled up the cup of their wickedness. So, we see God again ordering the movements of persons and nations. Thankfully, we learn also from Jonah that God's timetable can be adjusted... For whereas Nineveh was given 40 more days to exist as a nation, because they repented, they got a few hundred more years and would have had a few hundred more had they not turned again to their wicked ways. God is sovereign over the nations. Do you see it? At the heart of God's relationship with ancient Israelites was his covenant with them and their descendants. That agreement defined the rules and responsibilities of the relationship between God and the Israelites. It set forth the obligations God imposed on himself and his expectations of the nation he had created to be his holy people and a model nation to the world. Leviticus 20:26, 20, God states, You are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy, and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. Other scriptures you can look to help you with that, Deuteronomy 4, 5 through 8, 7 through 6. In God's economy, the other nations were to observe the rich blessings surrounding Israel, realize it was a result of serving God, and therefore they would decide to serve God as a nation as well. Unfortunately, Israel never lived up to her true potential as a witness and an example to lead other nations to God. God has made available to the whole world the knowledge of what he expects of them spiritually. He has accurately preserved this knowledge in the Bible, and today that, that knowledge is available to anyone willing to read it, whether ethnic Israel or the Gentile nations. Brothers and sisters, God has made his word available. We live in an age and a day where the Bible has been translated into thousands of languages, Virtually every tongue, literally hundreds of millions of copies are distributed all over the globe. The policies and the resources of America and Britain have both encouraged and enabled the true gospel of the kingdom of God to be proclaimed throughout the world in the last couple hundred years. They've provided the climate of religious freedom, the financial resources, and most of the laborers that were needed to disseminate biblical knowledge around the world. Let's look at the Bible's role in society and law. Biblical principles even became the basis of much of what we know as English common law. English common law in turn heavily influenced American constitutional and regional law. In this manner, the Bible has had a greater influence on the United States and the British Commonwealth nations than any other people in recent centuries. The Bible formed the foundation of these nations' professed ethical values and morality. Laws and nations established on biblical principles became the basis of a huge part of their legal judgments. The United States, in particular, became the most biblically-oriented nation in the world. Yet, we can have people writing in our local newspapers in the Bahamas saying that Christianity does nothing for nobody and needs to be dismissed. Despite the fact that it has been the means of the advancement of nations around the world that hold and adhere to Christian principles. Someone could say, the only thing it does is maybe help a few people who, uh, Christians helping the, 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 the drug addict and so forth and so forth. Beyond that, it doesn't do anything. Doesn't help anybody. Boldface lie. Ignorance of history. Through the widespread availability of the Bible, God gave the English speaking peoples essential information they needed to know what God expected of them. Still, it must be noted that God has never forced the Western Christian nations to accept their biblical ordained role. Like ancient Israel, we have a choice. Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 15 and 19 state See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. This day I call heaven and earth to witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Sadly, only a small portion of nations have responded sincerely to an opportunity to be God's nation making an impact. England, in her days of splendor, ruled the world. I don't need to tell you that. We all grew up singing God save the Queen. We all know that sun never set on the British Empire. Why? Because she followed God's rules and God's laws. Her kings and queens saw themselves as the defenders of the faith. And their archbishops of Canterbury saw themselves as setting a godly tone with fidelity to the word to the word of God. Now, now we have a completely different situation on our hands. Prince Charles, the heir to the British throne, will no longer see himself as a defender of the faith. That is a Christian faith. No, 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 no. no. Now, because he's enlightened, and that's in Masson quotes, he will be defender of faith, all faith, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam. He sees nothing special and distinct about Christianity. He's not seeking Yahweh's blessing. He's seeking to be politically correct and tolerant, and this man, God forbid will be the next king over the British Empire. God forbid. This man does not revere the very Christian faith that made his nation great. We see in England the same pattern of decay that happened again and again with ancient Israel. And now because of a growing faithlessness to the true God, the British Empire that gave her laws, her industry, her civil society, her faith to the colonies, now finds herself overrun by those same former colonies. The parts of England that look more Muslim than Saudi Arabia, where Sharia law—they're trying to get that practice where women are not treated with the courtesy and dignity dignity they deserve as uh, fellow, uh, co-apple um, of God's eye creatures that God has made for His own glory. Why? Because England has given up and has left her her Christian faith to be quote unquote. Tolerant. Clearly, Britain has lost that sense of manifest death destiny that she was to be God's city set on a hill, a model for the nations to be enamored by and to seek her God as well. But now let's turn our attention to the Bahamas and to the opportunity we have to be a city set on a hill, a light to the nations. We certainly have allowed ourselves to begin our nation on the right footing by acting within a preamble of our Constitution. Some powerful words that if followed will guarantee our freedoms. Specifically, the preamble to our Constitution states that we believe, quote, that the preservations of our freedoms will be guaranteed by a national commitment to self-discipline, industry, loyalty, unity, and an abiding respect for Christian values and the rule of law. You hear what that's saying? We're We're only going to be guaranteed the blessings of God on us as a nation... By a national commitment, not a church commitment, national commitment. We're not saying everybody in the Bahamas has to be a Christian, but we're saying at least have a national commitment to these things. An abiding respect. A national commitment to self discipline, industry, loyalty, unity, and an abiding respect for Christian values and the rule of law. None of these things are in vogue in the Bahamas. We don't have self discipline. It's chaos on the roads. It's chaos. There's no industry. You're a businessman. You know that you fear those who are in your shop teething from you more than you fear those who come in from out the shop with a mask and a gun. This nation believes in gambling right now more than it believes that God can provide and take care of His people. Okay, there's no there's no there's no self-discipline. There's no industry. There's no loyalty. There's no unity. Listen to the radio stations. Listen, everywhere is rage. People angry at each other. These things don't build and make a nation. There's no, there's no abiding respect for Christian values. When the deputy prime minister could, could, could sign a document he didn't see and agree with something he has not fully processed and say he's representing a Christian nation, though what they are advocating is absolutely against what we stand for as a nation, that's a problem. Do we truly believe that our freedoms as a sovereign nation will be guaranteed by these virtues? Or are they merely words written on a piece of paper that we intend to continue to ignore? You see, every time I speak, and have an opportunity to speak on these things, whether it's on the radio, another church, whether it's at a debate or whatever, I push that this is our mission statement. It's our motto. It's what we say we believe. Who is the UN to tell us what we believe? should do and be and think and what have you no 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 no, preamble says no we will live as a Christian nation so I, I anyone who fights that is fighting against what we say we stand for and so we must protect this and don't rely on the pastors to do all the talking that's my biggest gripe in the Bahamas oh let the pastors do the talking but you know where the arguments are one in the barbershop the hairdresser, at the PTA, at the government civil service meeting. Not, 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 not the pastor fighting alone on the airwaves. It's when you accept your mandate. It's when you accept that you are salt and light and you're arguing the, the, you're arguing the arguments that you hear in a setting like this, a church or, 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 or what's given to you. It's, it's when the rank and file Bahamian is talking on the streets that change takes place. And so we must must understand that it's a national commitment, not a pastoral commitment. A national commitment to self-discipline, industry, loyalty, and Christian values. It's going to make the change. Our founders seemingly understood the issues. The commitment to the true God and to living out his will in our national life was going to be what would secure our freedoms. The role of the church in each society is to be the soul of the nation. To be the soul of a nation. Every time I say that. Front porch by Simon or someone will come at me to say, no, 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 who are you all to be the moral guardians? No one said you're all the moral guardians. Oh, yeah? The church is the soul of the nation. The church is more concerned than anybody else about the spiritual temperature of a country. And there are those of a secular bent that would like to have the church eliminated out of the life of our country. But we must ensure That we are promoting the Christian values that we speak about. We must ensure that we are pushing against the flood tides of evil. Because everybody has their eye on this little nation. Everybody. Everybody wants a piece of this little nation. And the only thing that's going to serve as a bulwark to keep out views and opinions and value systems that we do not adhere to. Is this same preamble to the constitution. It is our shield. It is our shield. Get to know it. Get to know it. Believe it. Practice it. Deuteronomy 28, 3 through 8. Speaks of the blessings that accrue to the nation that God, that trusts in God. No time to get into all of it. Uh, but certainly one could pull out verse 13 of 28. Deuteronomy 28. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the, commu- to the command of the Lord, your God, that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. We don't have to fear what other nations can try to put on us if God is our God and we hold to his ways and his laws. Each nation, as it receives the good news of the gospel, that God honors a nation that honors him, each nation has a chance to be great, to do something remarkable for God. Now we sing in our national anthem, oh, you gotta love our, you gotta love the, the, the tokens, the, the, the emblems of our nationhood. There's some good stuff. Listen to our national anthem. See how the world marks the manner of your bearing. Look how the the whole world is watching you. They're seeing the manner of your bearing. What is the manner of your bearing? As we take our place on the world stage of nationhood, let us be mindful of the fact that many empires and nations started well, but worked themselves out of the blessing of God. Started well, but worked themselves right out of that blessing. Every nation is comprised of people or groupings of people who decide intentionally or otherwise on the course of action and behaviors for themselves that over time define what a nation becomes. In Paul's day, it was said that the Cretans were always liars. In other words, that that nation Crete there, the whole nation had been stamped. There was just a sense of if you talk to a Crete. Believe me, Elian. The whole nation got stamped with a particular personality. It was also said of Corinth. That if you were Corinthian. In fact, there was an expression. To play the Corinthian meant to be perverse in sexual appetites. Get it? A whole nation stamped by a certain kind of behavior. Right now, you think of the nation Nigeria. What do you think of? What do you think of? Scams, corruption. A whole nation has been stamped by that. Now, praise the Lord, not every Nigerian is that way. Been there, spent three weeks there doing some missionary work. And there's some good, godly believers there, but they recognize themselves that they're fighting against a national culture that has sought to subsume them with its wretchedness. In our day and time, let's get personal. In our day and time, Um, We, like many Caribbean nations, earned the reputation as pirates, crooks and thieves. Pirates, privateers, shipwreckers. You know what the shipwrecking industry was all about? You realize that during the shipwrecking industry, most people in the house of assembly were ship owners Were wrecking ship owners. Most people at that time. Before the loyalists came. The people who elected them into the house. Were their crew. And these guys. These guys. Put laws in the book. Where it was okay. For you. If you came across a wrecked ship. Whatever you came across is yours. Now never mind. That's my ship. That got hit up on the rocks. And all of my um, business enterprises and other people stuff is on that boat I could be there struggling to make it in the water but you and your boat you come there and everything on that boat is yours by Bahamian law now friends let me make, let me make that real to you if I and my nice BMW well, it wouldn't be me it will be Anton he got, he's one of the money <laughs> he smashed his nice BMW he got his iPad 2 there his, his iPhone and some other stuff I should say David Albright, the real man with the money. Because you all wouldn't believe me when I thought. Okay, David Albright, <laughs> Can you imagine you put something in the road that force him to smash into the tree and then you come along and take everything in his car, and if you look like he's waking up, you knock him on his head again, and then everything in that car is yours? That's what the laws of this country allowed. It was a sickness we were we had been we had been stamped with a with a cruel greedy spirit and I went from there to other things privateering of course by the grace of god god sent in a royal governor and that man set up lighthouses all over the bahama archipelago and so you couldn't erect the fake lighthouse to cause the ships to run up on ground you see they win winning every way. And if, if they couldn't lure you onto the rocks with a fake lighthouse, they'd bribe the captain before he left port. Listen, boss. If you wreck this ship, a quarter of all the proceeds will be yours. Okay? Wicked. Thank God we got through that. But look at all the other things. Then you had your rum running. How many the, the, the stinking rich Bahamian families in this country? Rum running. That's how they most got their money. Okay, rum running, gun running. We have a history of crookedness. A history of crookedness. Notice I saying, they have a history of crookedness. We, because we're in that. In the days of our first royal governor, Woods Rogers, we had the dubious national motto, Expulsis Piratis, Restitutia Commercia. National motto, our national motto so understood the problem that our national motto was expel the pirates, restore commerce, friends what an indictment, what an indictment on us as a nation, our national motto, expel the pirates, restore commerce, what did I tell you, the land was full of pirates, what did I tell you, commerce was all but impossible. That is what things were. That is what things were. But in the midst of all that, uh, um, sorry, I lost my place. Where are we? Okay. Piracy, crookedness, making money off of what is prohibited in other countries, like the guns to the South during the Civil War and rum to the U.S. during the Prohibition. These sins mark the manner of our bearing. These mark the manner of our bearing. One segment of the church lost its ability to speak out against these evils. When the government made them responsible for weights and measures in the public square. The government thought of everything. Listen, let's hush up the church. Let's let them clean the money up for us. Got it? Thus effectively washing this blood money. That is our history before our rise to nationhood. We cannot change that. But our birth as a nation gives us an opportunity to change that posture. Our birth as a nation, 38 years ago, a couple of weeks ago, gives us an opportunity to change that posture, to change that bearing. Our founders ought to be commended and uh, applauded for recognizing the value of living as a Christian nation. They did not have to say these things in the preamble. There's nothing that forced them to. They could have encouraged us to be a secular state. They settled too on Timothy Gibson's submission for the national anthem that affirmed that the road we want to tread leads us to God. These are powerful relics and tokens that we've been given. By these tokens, our founders were marking our bearing as being God-honoring. I believe that God has been honoring us with a Deuteronomical blessing of Deuteronomy 28. In short order, a prosperous, successful middle class sprang up almost overnight, educated, articulate, enterprising other nations that predicted our eventual fall had to mark the manner of our bearing indeed. When tourism and service industry began to sour, banking, insurance, thrift, and the other industries began in earnest. Indeed, God was blessing us. But in the midst of all that success, in the late 70s, we began to hear the rumors of drug dealers, cocaine running. By the mid-80s, many of our Bahamian sons and daughters were strung out on drugs, quite a few from well-to-do families. It seemed that there was hardly a family in this country that was exempt from stealing, lying, and shame that followed in the wake. Someone strung out on uh, cocaine, crack, and whatever. We found ourselves branded by the international media as a nation for sale. Anyone remember that? I want to let you know I left this country in 1980 as a proud Bahamian. I came back in 1984 in disgrace. Because all I was hearing... Was what kind of nation are you from? A nation for sale. National headlines. How humiliating. How humiliating. We weren't guarding our heritage. Gangs transformed from being the neighborhood boys up to light mischief. To vicious brutes and thugs who terrorized our neighborhoods. The church, the soul of the nation, responded with marches and programs to help those affected by drug drug addiction. The government created the National Drug Council and other agencies to try and help. In the midst of that came the AIDS crisis. And again, the churches responded. But these afflictions are symptoms, I believe, of a national disease, greed. Greed. I believe that we as a nation are overcome by greed. We believe that we need to have enough money and it doesn't matter how we get it. This is a spirit that existed in the pre-independence days, our colonial days that resulted in piracy, rum running, shipwrecking, etc., We've not rejected the spirit, church. The spirit is still very much a part of our national life, and it must be rejected. We must be a nation that believes that God and God alone will save us as a nation. Greed will not help us. Greed will destroy us. Greed will create uh, a covetous, vicious, deadly group of people, as we have seen over the years. We must indeed hearken back and be the kind of a people, a city set on a hill, a nation that follows hard after God, in all that it says and it does. Not just believing that it's words on a paper that will save us. But it's a national commitment to these things that we say are important to us. God will not allow those who traffic in evil to remain unscathed. If you traffic in something, God will bring it back on your head. Long Island, just as an example. I have many family members from Long Island. Long Island, not Long Island trafficked in taffy rum. And which one of us does not know that of any island, Long Island has been the one most afflicted by alcoholism. God will not let you get away with wrong and evil. And as a nation, we did not escape running cocaine. Our sons and daughters were destroyed by it. Decent, decent young women that you and I would have grown up with, gone to school, walk in the street. Teeth missing, rotted out, just wrecks of humanity. God will not allow a nation to traffic in evil and get away. There must be a nation that follows hard after God, or face the consequences. Scripture saying, Jeremiah seventeen five curses a man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from God. Now, let me uh, skip ahead. Former speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives, Robert Winthrop, said this. Men, in a word, must necessarily be controlled either by a power within them or by a power without them. Either by the word of God or by the strong arm of man. Either by the Bible or by the bayonet. For us to continue to live chaotically... Greedy, vicious toward each other, we will destroy this beautiful archipelago. Or we can allow the Word of God to transform us, and not just us, those that we interact with, those that we encounter in the barber shop, in the, in the, in the grocery store, wherever we go, our neighbors. Do your little part, and all of us doing our little part will be one big thing done. Get involved in, 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 your your children's school make sure there's a Christian voice represented wherever you go whatever you touch because man will either be controlled by a force within or from a force without you have all these liberal idiots and I don't apologize for calling them that they believe they are smarter than anybody else they continue to say that capital punishment does not is not a hindrance as a bold-faced lie I watch a boy get cane once in my life I watched that little boy get cane and I've never been a bad boy ever, 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 ever. Don't go there with me. Don't go. It is a bald-faced lie. How could you measure? How could you measure that it's not a deterrent? How could you measure that? I To this day, I can still hear that boy getting uh, cane. Over 40 years ago. Don't talk no fool to me. And whether it's a deterrent or not, God says to do it. And that's one less killer on the streets. The same killer, if you don't do it, coming back, going on bail and killing the witnesses who saw him do it. That is a chaos going on in this country because we will not listen to God's laws. We will not practice them. We must make our politicians, if they dare to represent us, represent us. Properly. That explains all of my actions you've ever seen. That's why we came with the 12 questions. That's why we hammered the politicians. Answer these questions. That's why I could go hard at Brent Simonette. Because I sat with him as he filled his out. We will do it again. We must place our ultimate trust in God. Not in gambling. You get these people saying gambling can help us and so forth. No friends. God will help us. President Teddy Roosevelt said. To educate a person in mind but not in morals. Is to educate a menace to society to educate a man in mind but not in morals is to educate a menace to society friends be careful where you send your good decent christian children to go to school because you want to be able to brag that your child went to harvard and to yale and whatever and your child that you labored all those years for comes back as an atheist Mind you, smart as a whip. But an atheist nonetheless. And perhaps an atheist without a moral foundation. Despite the fact that you put one there. They've rejected that. So, you've created a smarter crook now. My Jesus, is that what you wanted? Or you want a physician who is, does not think himself God. But like the physician that dealt with my son when he had to have an operation on a brain tumor, that doctor, Dr. Ben Carson, prays before he cuts and prays every cut he makes. He's also, by the way, the best pediatric neurosurgeon on the planet. So I don't want a good doctor who is immoral and will take chances he ought not to take because he believes he's God. I want a moral doctor who will uh, pray and ask God and be wise in the things that he does. Well, let's wrap up. There are some seven social institutions that work together to shape culture to their various destinies. Seven things. I want to put them in your head. Um, uh, of course, my nose can be made available to those of you that will, that want to go further. But there are seven, seven shapers of society, seven social institutions that shape and define a culture. The first one, government. Government where evil is either restrained or endorsed. That's what government does, folks. Government restrains or endorses. Paul says, the government does not bear the sword for nothing. Submit to their authority, because they do not bear the sword for nothing. We are only not to submit their authority when they come against God's authority. But under the Obama administration, there's been a full-fledged adoption uh, an acceptance of homosexuality. Okay. He is endorsed. where Under the, the previous administration. Bush. Bush um, um, contained. One either restrains or endorses. Under the Bush administration. You may like these presidents. Policies or not like them. That's not the issue. I'm talking about how government either endorses. Or restrains something. Okay. Under one. We saw. Um. Christian values being more so endorsed, sorry, endorsed and, and enforced. And another one, we're seeing a wholesale endorsement of the homosexual agenda. Um, month of June, the lay lesbian, gay, transsexual thing celebrated in the White House with movies being shown and so forth. He's got he, he's freed up his civil service that they can go wherever throughout the world with their spouse of the same gender. Um, He's not defending the Defense Against Marriage Act, which was endorsed by Congress. On and on and on this man's transgressions go. Government is used to either enforce, sorry, excuse me, to restrain or endorse. And our government in times past endorsed evil, shipwrecking. It endorsed it. Our present government, we have by our preamble, when I say our president, I don't mean necessarily the M, But those since independence. We have an opportunity to ensure that they endorse a Christian agenda. It's right in our preamble. You don't have to apologize to nobody. It's right there. So when we see them endorsing anything other than Christian, we can go straight at them. We must go straight at them. Because who's going to stop the government but the people? Second social institution, education, where truths or lies about God and his creation are taught. That's why the homosexual gender is now trying to get in the school system. They've just passed some information now where in, in, in California by 1214, you'll start teaching about homosexuality in the elementary school. They know how to shape society. They've been very good at it, and it's coming. What happens in California? Spreads to the rest of the nation. Media, where truth is interpreted through the lens of good or evil. How many times have you watched a movie where you are rooting for the adulterer? How many? How many movies? The average movie has you rooting for the bad guy. The average movie has you thinking, okay, now um, uh, he deserved to cheat on his wife. Or she deserved to cheat on her husband. Friends, that's destroying your Christian convictions. How many songs out there? Encourage wrong behavior. Popular song a number of years ago, Secret Lovers. How can something so wrong feel so right? You, you see how they are appealing to your emotion, not truth. This same thing that feels right to you is going to ruin two families, it's going to ruin every one of the children. But you ain't thinking that. You're just thinking about your feelings. What do your feelings have to do with anything? What do your feelings have to do with nation building? Government, education, media, arts and entertainment, where values and virtues are either celebrated or distorted. Most TV you see, the father is an absolute idiot, out of touch with reality. Are you with me? Religion, where people worship God in spirit and in truth or settle for religious ritual. Family, where either... A blessing or curse is passed on to successive generations in business where people build for the glory of God or the glory of man, where resources are consecrated for the kingdom of God or captivated for the kingdom of darkness. Let you in on a secret. Shh. Don't tell anybody. Okay? Those of you listening by internet, if that's how other folks are listening, shh. Don't tell anybody. I am praying. For Christians right now, many who have God has blessed with resources, but they're holding on to the resources and they can die with their resources. There are ministries and persons who are hurting. I believe such believers are on thin ice and in a dangerous place. The last thing in the world you want to do is go to God with a bunch of money. In your earthly bank account that could have gone to ministry somewhere. If Bill Gates, a non Christian man, could say, Listen, I can't leave this insane wealth to my children because it'll destroy them. So I'm going to give away billions of dollars to various charities. Even the non Christians get it. But when we have ministries suffering, when we have believers suffering, when we have churches dying for lack of resources, but somebody is sitting on God's vehicle to bless others. Friend, that's a problem. And I've been praying, God, by your spirit, release such persons, one, not to face judgment before you, where they have to give an account for misusing your money. Just like that fool said, hmm, got a good crops, I'm going to plow down my old barn, build a new one, and So forth, and die that very night before anything can be done. I believe that believers who are not careful with their wealth. Will face the same condemnation. The same harsh judgment. May just get in by the skin of their teeth if that. We need to be careful. Our money shows our value system. Write that down. If you haven't written anything down. Anything else down. your, Your checkbook is a religious document. It shows your values. It shows what you value most. It shows what you value most. So, as I close then, these seven areas, seeing, adding those seven areas with the preamble of our mission statement, they must work together harmoniously so that we bring about a national commitment to self-discipline. Industry, loyalty, unity, and abiding respect for Christian values. Every one of those seven spheres of influence ought to have that national commitment to these things. Every one of them. Every one of them. I'm waiting for some mothers to get together and complain to the government or complain to Cable Bahamas. Stop the filth. I believe women can get that message across better than men. You you, you let me do it. They called me. One fellow called me Ayatollah. Another joker called me King Ahab. You know, but but what they're trying to do, they're trying to marginalize you so that you have to shut up. I'm not going to shut up. I've been called by God to speak out against evil and wrong. But, 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 but you, but you, some of you mothers can get together and say, you know what, I've had enough of this filth I'm seeing even on basic cable. Even basic cable's got filth. And I believe if a number of you get together and say, listen, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna record some of these shows, and we're gonna go, and we're gonna say, this is what's showing. I was in Cable Bahamas one day, and I'm standing at the bank line, normally I just put my check in the thing and go. But I, I had some time to kill. I like to talk to people. That's, that's, that's my, that's who I am. I talk to everybody. Um, so I'm standing in line and while I'm standing, right there in one of the big flat screen TVs, man and woman having sex, big and bold. I, I look around I said, ma'am, come here, please. I said, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a tax paying citizen of this country. I get basic cable. I'm here in this public place and look what's going on. I said, ma'am, take this off now. Now, I wasn't asking no one no questions. This is illegal. This should not be. You see, there needs to be boldness. There needs to be boldness. The more Christians are bold, more things will happen in this country. All right. I, 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 I am ending now. The, 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 the um, National Anthem. Not National Anthem. Yes, the National Anthem says this. Lift up your heads to the rising sun, Bahama land. March on to glory, your bright banners waving high. See how the world marks the manner of your bearing Plays to excel, and on and on and on it goes. I, I, I'm really out of time. but I just want to say this. The price of our freedom is eternal vigilance. We say that we want to be a nation marked by God's standards. We say that we are this road that we're on is going to take us to our God. Well, we've got to fight for that. We have to believe that our nation's wealth is dependent on the investments we make, the spiritual investments we make, rather than the gambling that others are saying that this nation needs. In order for the Bahamas to truly become a Christian nation, to arrive at a place where the world can really mark the manner of our bearing, the church, the soul of the nation, must take up the divine call to function in its role as salt and light. Wherever the sons and daughters of the church find themselves, in customs, immigration, Royal Bahamas Defense Force, the police force, the school system, the media, we are to make our light shine. You are light, believer. You are a follower of Jesus. And he said, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. Be a light wherever you find yourself. What are the implications? As light, I cannot conceal the truth I know or who I am because I'm light. By my very nature, I dispel darkness. If you have a dark room, you put light, the room lights up. It's the nature of light. That's my function. That's by influence, light. Now, notice this. My influence on the world, that influence its effectiveness, depends on being visible. A Christian who is not visible is not being a Christian. A Christian whose influence cannot be felt is not being a Christian. Finally, the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. A community of Jesus that seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. As believers, we must make our light shine. In the words of Nehemiah, let us rise up together and build. Together, let us build a great nation, a city set on a hill. Can we stand, please? We live in perilous times. We live in times where there is a hostility towards Christianity. We live in times... um, where multiculturalism believes no longer in absolute values. There is now nothing where anyone can say this is the truth. No, no, that's your truth for you, not for me. Absolute values have been sidelined for anybody's values or right. Friends, you can't have a society like that. If we're going to become a city that will become a city set on a hill, it will be because we hold fast to God's laws, God's ways, God's teachings, and we practice it in our daily lives. Shall we pray? Father, behold, here we are, your people. We have been reminded afresh, Lord, by means of this message, that we are in perilous times where the faith is being set aside and marginalized, where outside forces are dictating to us as a country what we should believe, how we should live, what we should even be able to say, but Lord, we are committing ourselves to you. We, this harvest of Christian souls, Lord, to the world, we are the scum of the earth, but to you, we are near and dear and precious. We ask, Lord, for your unctionizing, that you would cause us to be a people that wherever we go, we minister to others the life-giving message of our faith, the gospel that is able to save men's souls. Make us bold in a holy way. Make us uh, more godly and more seen as we move about in this country. Give us the boldness to be a people who refuse to be hidden. A people who put their salt where it's going to count most. In the rotting meat of society. In the dark places of our society where evil reigns. Because no Christian has stepped forward to challenge the reign of evil. We ask now then, Lord, for your spirit's empowering of our lives... Give us courage, give us strength to be your people, we pray and ask in Christ's name. Amen and amen.